Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, coming to you from the isolation of our homes. A glimpse into chef's fridges with Carrie Solomon and Adrian Moore, teenage eating habits, and a pink Pakistani treat. Hello, Joshna. Hi, Mirella. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Right on. Uh, it's it. still unbearably hot, but we've come to, I think, my favorite season of the year, and you'll appreciate this because it's food related. Tell me. Wild blueberry season. Oh, yeah, it's really. It's This is like, this is what Ontario does well, right? It is oh, gorgeous. Yeah. my goodness. I know. I know. They're worth every penny you pay for them, and the flavor is like that is distinctly summertime when we get to the point where it's blueberries plus peaches that is like peak glory for <gasps> once the peaches okay, is that coming peach, soon yeah the peach blueberry crumbles are like that is what i live for yeah that's my favorite. Oh, wow no i just shovel them into my <laughs> mouth literally yeah because you could take down like 20 dollars of wild blueberries a day exactly a day five minutes <laughs> <laughs> So I'm very excited today. We have two guests on. Yeah, I know. And from far away, too. This is very exciting. Yes, from Paris. Um, we have Carrie Solomon, who's an American photographer and writer who lives in Paris, as we just mentioned. Uh, since moving there in 2002, she's become one of France's most renowned culinary photographers. And we've been enjoying her work over the past oh, week, cool. looking yes. at that book. Yes. Uh, she writes and shoots about food and travel regularly for Elle. France and has authored, co-authored, and photographed many books. Hello, Carrie. Hello. Welcome. And also with us is Adrian Moore, who's an award-winning palace concierge by day and a food and culture writer by night. When he's not keeping the secrets of the food world luminaries and international jet setters, that's exciting. I know. He writes for publications like Condé Nast, Traveler, oh, Condé Nast Traveler, Travel and Leisure, and The Monocle. Welcome. My friend, Adrian, I feel like you have one of the few of those wonderful jobs that are left in this uh, industry. That's uh, amazing. It's, it's getting uh, more and more difficult. Luckily, I have a day job. Well, Indeed, I mean, indeed. With, uh, I, I'm actually unemployed at the moment, like many people in, in Paris, but because my hotel hasn't opened back up yet. But um, yeah, it's always, it's always good to ha hang on to a job uh, that we like to do as well. <laughs> So Carrie and Adrian are here to talk to us about their book, Chef's Fridges, which came out in May. Uh, it's literally photos of chef's fridges uh, in North America and in Europe. And it gives you a bit of a glimpse into what they eat at home. So I was really curious to know how this, the idea for this book came about. I mean, this, this is a, the, the continuation, the follow the creative follow-up kind of to to our first book which was inside chess fridges with tassin published in 2015 and uh karen and i you know we're both north americans i was actually born in, in toronto funny enough i grew up in the states yeah <laughs> and um and uh we sort of knew each other through friends in the food world and we were both very passionate about about food and restaurants and chefs and uh one evening we were in a in a, in a food event held by the the, the food inn um and uh, she knew a lot of the french chefs and i knew a lot of french chefs and you know we were chatting a lot with the some of the hottest chefs in in paris and from around the world you know and we thought we should really do a book you know i mean the idea was to be ultimate insider sh insider chef at home book 
And um, we sort of uh, came up with the idea that we uh, wanted to do a list of the chefs that we personally wanted to go meet and hang out with. Um, and, then, and then the fridge idea came along and then we developed it. And, um, you know, uh, Carrie does amazing photographs. So we obviously wanted to put the, the uh, beautiful photographs up front, but also have simple home recipes and a, a bit of a bit of a uh, in, intel on the chef himself, some funny anecdotes and all that. And um, Chef's Fridges with Harper Collins um, is uh, well the most recent one. Um, so we've uh, gone a bit more. Uh, the first one was European chefs only. Uh, this one we've got uh, mostly North American chefs, but also uh, some European chefs. Mexican chefs and uh, and some Canadian chefs as well. Some yeah, yeah, yeah. I was happy even to see our, that. Our homegrown Toronto boys in there. That was oh, super nice yeah. to see Anthony. <laughs> and even a couple Canadian chefs who live in the States as well. So. That's right. He was in there, right? Yeah, and also right. Amanda, Amanda Cohen. Ah, yeah. Amanda. That's right. It is a solid Canadian showing there. Right, with David uh, McMillan. That's Canadian awesome. Canadian connection. Yeah. <laughs> So I have to ask, I, I, I've, I love this. There's a voyeur inside of me. And so to be able to look inside these chef's fridges, and I knew most of the chefs on that list. Uh, and there's a very easy, beautiful correlation between what's in their fridge and the kind of food that they cook, right? It's, it's, it's quite sweet, actually, to see the truth of that. Like, what I loved was uh, Nadine Levy-Redzepi's fridge is just like uh, containers of experiments, yeah right that's that's what that's what that that's what the noma life is it's all about this brewing thing this fermenting thing it's like i'm not sure what kind of meal will be pulled from anything in that fridge but it's it's very sweet to see that of of course uh the rinzeppi's fridge looks like that talk Uh, about taking your work home with you yeah indeed right indeed and then to swing over to like jean georges which like the fridge is bursting with things and you can see it's like gorgeous things that have been collected from all the sort of far flung corners of the world, uh, which is exactly what his, you know what I mean? That's exactly what we see on the plate from him. Um, and then to swing over to Alice Waters, notably like no plastic, not many, you know what I mean? Not really disposable packs. She had bowls turned yeah. over, over vegetables, uh, very clean, very simple, very Alice. As you were as you were saying uh, that uh, you can see uh, you know the the link between their their food and the elements um, in the fridge, you can also see a link between what's in a chef's fridge and and their personality uh, mm-hmm. inside and outside of their of the restaurant kitchen. Yeah, whether they're bachelors or family people or you know it's uh, all this has an impact on on what they have in the fridge. Huh? Totally, we were Marella and I were noting that one chef that just has like shelves and shelves of lacroix water that was Jordan yes. in Los Angeles that seems to be a typical trend of uh, bachelor fridges um same thing uh with uh with Jean-Georges he had lots of uh lots of water uh on uh, on the ready yeah and, I uh, saw the Fiji and, water that's right and tonic water and mixers uh he seems to be quite uh, the at-home uh, entertainer that's right that's I was also happy to see a lot of beer as a beer person uh-huh. I was snooping around to see if it was going to be majority wine, but I feel like there was good beer representation there. Did you see Ivan Orkin's beer fridge? How did I miss that? I'm going to have to pop back in. I like the fact that there's so many bottles of bubbles in those fridges, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, I like Amanda Cohen sweetly was like, it's not because you would think it's there for a celebration. Uh, yeah. Right, that's you understand. Cold bubbles is important, but she was like, "No, it's there just for the next time I order Szechuan takeout." For the takeout, yeah. But she, she also says it's a perfect, yeah. 
spicy drinks out with spicy foods. Yeah, you know, I love that yeah. tip. I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to try that. I like that so much. I just think we got a lot of tips, a lot of great at-home cooking cooking tips, such as the one Ooh. by Amanda Cohen. Another thing that she does that uh, that's really clever is she takes some um, uh, leftover greens and herbs and she she mixes them up, mixes them into like a puree, and then she puts them in ice cube trays. And then when she has uh, leftover uh, takeout take rice, because there's always a lot of that that, uh, that comes mm-hmm. with, uh, with takeout, uh, she pops one of those green cubes into a, uh, a frying pan with the rice and makes this like instant sort of, let's say, cheaters green risotto. And, oh, uh, that's so smart. She, it, it was delicious and yeah, really, really, really great, great use of, uh, of leftovers and the kind of thing that for my opinion, like we all have those things in our fridges, but it takes, you know, it's, it's the chefiness and it's the cleverness yes. of being a chef that can take it a bit further and create a really great uh, simple meal out of it. Uh, what I'm going to assume that you've eaten in, in some of the restaurants of these wonderful people. Uh, what, what did you, through the process of this book, what kinds of things did you learn about chefs at home? One of the things that surprised us the most was, um, I mean, these are enormously creative and, and technical people, and they can take anything and turn it into something fantastically creative and, and delicious uh, with elements, like disparate elements that you might never have thought about that, that just come together, you know? Um, and then, uh, yeah, they're all, they've, all, uh, they've all got luxury products as well. Um, I think they all tend to be a bit more seasonal, you know? Um, mm-hmm. You really find that all into what season a lot of them uh, bring stuff from the restaurants you know it's takeout i mean uh, yes uh, um, i mean a lot of things uh, that uh, that sort of uh, draw them all together you see the supermarket uh, industrial food and then you see the the niche um, you know sort of small production uh, yeah enrique olvera's bundles of tortillas where i was very yeah. excited about that right the little paper bundles i was just at his restaurant uh, in January and that whole like just Mexico City and the food and him and the culture around Pujol uh, was very very exciting the whole I was in love with all of it now. and there's a lot happening there yeah it is very very exciting uh, one of the things that I noted that I that I kind of loved as a cook was that there are certain sort of standard almost international condiments that we all think are the best right there's things that show up over and over again uh, in people's fridges, which I have to say is a bit reassuring uh, for me because there's a lot of them that are in my fridge right now. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed just on a quick look was that Bragg's uh, apple cider vinegar seems to be the one that everybody loves the most. Uh, the Martin's buns. I love that the Martin's buns have such distance, right? I mean, it's a fine, it's a fine bun, but it's amazing that it's that far. Heinz ketchup, my Dijon, uh, and, uh, and that distinct bottle of sriracha right <laughs> is there with the with the the green top that is and in every duke's mayo it duke's it's yes oh yeah yes that's a big indeed one. <laughs> uh, i love that a lot i love that they're like these are the best these are what you know these are things don't nobody needs to make these again or do them any differently on the flip side i thought it was uh interesting i noted a high percentage of chefs had kimchi in their fridge and uh which i thought was uh, super interesting. Some of it homemade, some of it not, but definitely there. And I was wondering if you saw any other sort of commonalities, any other interesting ingredients across the board besides, you know, the usual like eggs, milk, butter, meat, like what we would expect in the fridge. Well, there was definitely a, a kimchi and a fermentation theme. Um, mm-hmm. 
Matthew Atchison actually had uh, had a couple different types of homemade kimchi in in his fridge, and he was he was telling me he was always experimenting, and uh, he's had you know some, a couple blow ups of uh, of kimchi kombucha. along the way. Oh, and, um, one one great thing that uh, that I picked up from him was um, using uh, kimchi juice to make vinaigrette. Uh, it gives a lot of a uh, lot of flavor to Ooh, that's your smart. average uh, oil. Uh, that's exciting. Vinegar vinaigrette, um, and uh, there was also Sean Brock who had a lot of uh, fermentation going on, and it came yes. back. It kind of like went full circle between um, Nadine uh, Redzepi's uh, fridge uh, and the fermentation cookbook, and you could see uh, how things have trickled down from one restaurant kitchen. Uh, to uh, to a home kitchen of another chef in another part of the world. Quite fascinating. That is really fascinating. And I, I suppose it must have been a bit reassuring to some degree to see that the the um, philosophy that they espouse really publicly and on the plates in their restaurants, that there's some legitimacy, you know what I mean? That it's connected to who they actually are. And that's evidenced by what's in their fridge. Yeah, sometimes not as well. I mean, when you, when you see chefs of, like Pierre Gagnier who have like a, like Diet Coke in the fridge and the tiny, <laughs> thing in the tiny bottles, you know. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then he says, no, no, actually, it's not mine. It's my uh, my son-in-law's. Or my, that's right. Know, that's so. right. That's <laughs> disclaimers, yeah. But he wasn't against it being in there. I think, I mean, well, I mean, I imagine Diet Coke is a, is a, a perfect formula of what it is, you know. I mean, it's, a, yes. it's something that exists. Exactly. And, and, it, and it goes across a whole cultural, uh, you know, space whether you're just some normal joe or you're a three-star mission chef you know so it's kind uh, of fun they're like I, us sometimes <laughs> so inversely it sort of makes us look, i don't know about what carrie thinks but um sort of makes me look at my fridge in a different way as well you know because i see some of the stuff and i say oh, i'm gonna try that i'm gonna try that and my fridge is more full of uh, exotic condiments than ever you know because uh yes they, i think these fridges have inspired me to like you know <laughs> Have a have a great have a little jar of that that. or a bit of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just found this book can be enjoyed on so many levels because I did start off looking at what was in the fridges and then sort of reading the bios and making the connection. But then I found myself on a total tangent looking at the actual fridges and and I noticed you put the names of the refrigerator brands of the refrigerators on there, (laughs) and I was so impressed that it looked like you had foreseen that that might be an angle that would come up. That's an extra detail. I think it just makes it interesting. You know, it's the little, I think the first one, it, we sort of did the same thing in the first book as well, but it's kind of interesting to see. Uh, and the same brand sort of came up as well. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was some of the top chefs, I think, had, like uh, Dominique Crenn, I guess she, she had a Sub-Zero. Was she it, did, uh, that under-counter, yeah. One yeah. of the smallest, well, Carrie, the smallest fridge we had. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the smallest, yeah, uh, smallest fridge in the book. That's right. They were tiny. Yeah. That's right. I did note that. That's right. That's right. And I feel like Jose Andres had something very extra special. He had a name of a fridge that I didn't even recognize. He he has two fridges. And uh, one is a a Hoshizaki. Uh, That's it. It's a professional uh, restaurant-grade fridge that he keeps in his garage for for recipe testing at at home. Um, What was really interesting uh, with uh, the juxtaposition of European uh, chefs and North American chefs was the size of the fridge and sometimes the question of how many fridges. Uh, we didn't encounter that as much in the first book as the second book. Since we went to North America, we found that a lot of chefs have fridges, plural, uh, in their garage, mm. another one in the kitchen. Um, 
it was uh, an interesting phenomenon that we, we had kind of expected and it definitely held held through. We even encountered um, in, uh, in California at Nancy Silverton's uh, our first uh, smart fridge. It was a Samsung that uh, has a camera inside of it and you can see what, what's in there when you're in the grocery store and you're trying to figure out if you need to buy more. Whoa. It's funny, a lot of these, um, uh, the, the book is very dense. I mean, it, it's got layers mm. and layers. And uh, I mean, I, I, I've read it a thousand times that I always find something else, you know, inside. It leaves me down that sort of rabbit hole. It's like we were speaking about Nancy Silverton. She had a hot sauce called um, snake oil hot sauce, which is like a really small production hot sauce that um, I think uh, the peppers come from Baltimore. And it's like uh, kind of like Sean Brock, you know, he's brought back a lot of heirloom uh, mm-hmm. sort of uh, vegetables and, um, and found ancient seeds and things yes. like that. And this, um, this snake oil hot sauce is actually from um, a chef who is interested in, in, in um, a certain type of pepper that he heard about. That had been brought by um, black slaves when they came to the United States. Yes, called the, yes. Called um, fish peppers, yep. and he actually, uh, I think, went in with a scientist or a local niche farmer and brought back these peppers. And I think he's the only one who's really cultivating it, and it's the that's only one awesome. that uses it in hot sauce. You know, well, that's just one little tiny thing. There was in a, a fridge that had you know 150 products in it. You know, it's a it's a book that has staying power. And it's even, I even imagine like 150 years from now, it could be considered a historical document, you know? I mean, totally. It's a time capsule a of a thing, right? School, yeah. Uh, Looking at this stuff, saying, oh, they, that, you know, it's a, it's, yeah, it's, on many it's, levels, yeah. It's, it's full of information. I mean, I mean, you could read this book five years from now, and I'm still mm-hmm. going to find the. What, what story about this moment do you, like, if someone, you know, down the way, I guess they blink it up in their eyelid. You know what I mean? From there, from whatever, you know, they won't actually have a book anywhere. They'll just call it up in their brain. Uh, but when when they do, what what story of now do you think or hope that this book will tell? They'll probably say, oh, wow, people used to have fridges and not like molecular food creators, you know? Look at what they did, yeah. Maybe just push a button. Yeah, exactly. I think it really speaks to where we're at right now with uh, uh, the challenge of... Uh, Eating locally uh, versus uh, mass industrialization and uh, the cult of, uh, you know, having uh, the right condiments or the right hot sauces uh, speaks to chef stardom. And uh, and luckily we made the book. uh, We did all the travel last year because uh, right now with everyone at home uh, under some form of lockdown, at least this can provide, you know, a bit more insight. Uh, We're all just kind of hanging out in front of our fridges these days. That's exactly it. Well, this has been uh, a delight to speak with you both. And uh, the book, uh, I agree with you, Adrian. You can just go back to it again and again and enjoy it on so many different levels. Uh, I know I enjoyed reading it, Josh, and I'm guessing you. Oh, my God. I've bored through it. Having a lot of fun, yes. Uh, And once again, the book is called Chef's Fridges, and it's from HarperCollins. And I'm guessing you can get it uh, pretty much anywhere that fine books are sold. There's a there's Wonderful. a link on the website that shows all the different you know if you want to do Amazon if you want to do more independent booksellers. Perfect. We love our indie bookstores. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, Thanks thank to you, you both. Thanks much. for putting this together. It's a really lovely story. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right, Marella, I am very excited that uh, enough time has passed here in quarantine that we are starting to see 
some information about what life has been like for people around the world. We're starting to see some stats and some measures of what people's lives have been all about. Uh, of course, the stuff around food is the stuff that I am super interested in. Uh, and so the BBC um, put out a piece uh, talking about how uh, re- the people, researchers have done some investigation what uh, about um, eating habits at home, right? They were yes. just really thinking about young people's eating habits. And I'm really into the idea that, they're, that they wanted to sort of look at young people and their eating habits because we tend to... We tend to not focus on young people enough, I think, in this conversation. We talk about families, we talk about kids, like little kids, um, mm-hmm. but young people are not really that uh, considered. And right, this so, was uh, 14 yeah. to 19-year-olds, right? Yes, that's memory right. Serves. 1,014 yeah. to 19-year-olds. Um, and so it, it sounds as though they had some... It's, it's like there's a bit of a, an after-school group or a bit of a youth organization where they found you know, the pockets yeah. of these kids. Um, but I, so the, the verdict was the two biggest nuggets were that snacking was up, mm-hmm. uh, right? Lots more snacking, but also lots more family meals. Yes. We see so much evidence about the negative impact of not having a family meal, mm-hmm. right? In terms of uh, communication and nourishment and connection and that sort of thing. Um, that, uh, and, and even so like these, these kids, uh, were amazing. This, this young woman, she, I think she's 16 years old. She said wonderful things like, I don't want us to be the victims of endless fast food advertisement and celebrities endorsing stuff that everyone knows is bad for us. Yeah. Great. Uh, the other thing I found really lovely was the fact that these teenagers not only reported that they're having more family meals, but they also reported that they were really enjoying it and that it's something that they want to keep doing yes, yes. after the pandemic is done. And that really struck me because, you know, the stereotypical image of the teenager is like just on their phone, not really interested happy, in the family right. meal, yeah. you know, you know, popping in to grab something off the table on the that's way it. out. Maybe I've been watching too much television, you know, but that's sort of <laughs> yeah. very typical vibe. And so it made me think, A, you know, maybe the teenagers aren't the only ones at fault here and uh, yes. I don't want to say at fault but the only reason you know and you know COVID has resulted in a lot of people being home a lot more yes. than normal so you know it's maybe it was just a question of aligning better aligning schedules mm-hmm. um, and then you know the other piece that I that really made me think about is you know these we keep finding these small silver linings to the COVID yes. situation yep. and the fact that a, the family meals are happening more often, and B, the value in them is being seen not only by the parents, but by these teenagers, I just thought was was fantastic. And I very much hope they manage to keep doing that. Me too. Me pandemic. too. I, there's part of me that has this idea that that a lot of this was some was like a bigger monster than we thought it really was. Like the idea of making time for a meal was just a sort of insurmountable thing. Yeah. And when we were forced into it, we realized that it actually is quite doable and maybe even a bit joyful. Didn't really appreciate the the sort of doom and gloom or panic around this snacking piece. I, I, I'm with you. Um, yes. They talked about you know forty percent more snacking and. I don't know if you remember, but in our episode, The Spice Called Variety, we addressed snacking. And mm-hmm. I learned there that, you know, because the whole 
thing they were saying, the BBC was saying is, you know, they're not having the regular three meals. Right. right and, right. you know, as we learned from the experts that in the article from that previous episode, you know, it's the three meals is a construct and it's a construct that we need when everyone's at work and you need to all take a break and you need to make sure that you're fed. Yeah. But when things are loosey goosey, it's fine to just graze throughout the day. And mm -hmm. it's more about, you know, what you're eating and not about uh, when you're How eating. Frequently. And yes, definitely the article made it clear that they're eating a lot of, you know, chocolate and junk food. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. guess what? These are stressful times. I know. I you know. know, some people need comfort food and I, I don't think that's anything to panic about Me neither. or to get Me neither, worried about. And the teenagers yeah. weren't saying, you know, oh, and I'm delighted to find that I was not, you know, no, no one was yeah, exactly. uh, happy about this turn of events. And so I, I don't see a lot of panic in that. Although I was you know, disheartened, uh, they perceived an even bigger gap between uh, the good, better eating or healthier eating habits, fruits and vegetables from higher income households and the lower income yes. households, that gap of, um, I guess, between the two of how much, right. how healthily they're eating relative to each other has it augmented the divide. Right, right. right. Um, and I was a little annoyed because I'm pretty sure the group that ordered the study, this is what the study was about. And they just you know, the article just touched on it. It's not good news. Uh, and we need to dig around to, to think more about root causes, about what that's all about, right? There's awesome mm -hmm. things and then there's not all, then there's, there's really damaging things and they're all happening at the same time. Uh, and it's just, it's just a matter of sort of like juggling and recognizing. Them. Yeah. And again, just to be forgiving, right? If you need yes. to snack a little more to get through it, totally. you need a little junk food to get through it or whatever you need. Yeah, I think we need to well, acknowledge and, uh, these are challenging yeah, times. I agree. I agree. Don't wear uh, you down. And especially teenagers. Can you imagine know, as a teenager being trapped in the house? I would not have enjoyed it. No one and would like have being really that. uncertain about your future and whether you're, you know, in school and whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, I, to your point, I also hope that in the middle of this is some moment where people are connecting to actually listening to their own hunger. What I love is it's bridging the gap to a more trusting, nourishing relationship with food. I'm excited, Joshna, about you introducing me to this new beverage. I am very excited. Uh, this is, uh, I caught a glimpse of this and, and got excited about it, which is why I brought it to the table for you. So today, so this, uh, we're going to talk about Rue Ufza. Rue Ufza, it is a, uh, on the label, it so sweetly calls itself a summer drink of the East, which makes me laugh out loud. Uh, essentially, it is a very, very uh, red, very sweet syrup. I'm just cracking it open right? now. There oh my is. goodness! It is very red it's, and very with sweet. like a like a pinkish hue. Indeed, right? Uh, and there is uh, a roseness. There's a rose element to it, as well as just like other miscellaneous fruits and botanicals. But the rose is the most forward piece. Oh, it's got a very delicate flavor it is it is and it actually it's, it is very it is very gentle it's uh, definitely floral but i wouldn't have pegged it as rose water right it doesn't have those. quite as much the like grandmother's cupboards as a yeah. lot of other rosy it's stuff not like yet, laura right? ashley uh no you know? no exactly <laughs> it's not like a full 90s exactly it's not like that but it's uh, not fruity at all i'm getting some green 
which yes. is odd because it's it's so seriously so i have you know maybe an ounce on the bottom of my glass is that enough that's plenty as far and as then, i'm concerned uh, listen there's a wide, add water? Wide, wide variety of ideas about okay. how to drink the thing um my favorite way there's two ways one is in the faluda which we'll talk about in a moment but the other day, actually, I saw it on the shelf and I was like, oh, let's see on this hot summer day. And I had like glass of ice, bubbly water, and then I just put about a shot of it on top of that. Okay, so I have my soda water, but uh, because I'm me, I'm going to just go taste it. On taste it, taste it. Please yeah. taste it. You have to get the real oh, syrupy chemical. It is sir, as I'm, as I'm mm. you know, tilting the glass, it's just sticking to the side. There's there. no legs. It's just an yeah. entire sheet. Exactly. Ooh, I don't think I've ever tasted anything like this. Right. And it like, for me, it is evocative of like uh, South Asian sweets, uh, summertime, uh, right? Because we, as a kid, we would always go uh, from our, our house in Brampton to Gerard Street, which is Little India here in Toronto. And that that flavor is of all of the things that we would get. In the, these are all the things that we yeah. never make at home, that you only eat at restaurants, um and so for us it's like it's like the good times it has a candy note there's uh definitely like an an herbal note to it but mm -hmm. not like not like ricola it's not minty no no it's, it's not more at all. sort of earthy herbal and the floral notes are coming through and i must say i have diluted it quite a bit with soda water here and it is sticking to its color <laughs> it's <laughs> not letting go of that pink wow uh, i'm, the I'm guessing there might be some coloring in here oh the, that's <laughs> what the best thing on the label is i'll find it and i'll send it to you is like just the list of numbers of the chemicals from the dyes it's no joke oh so okay so drinking it diluted the rose water definitely it has through. some room to yeah. be yes but not cloying at all it's not surprisingly when you see how it behaves in the bottle by itself your teeth start to hurt in anticipation, right? Yeah. I, well, I also read about this, uh, this, what was it called? Faluda? The Faluda. Which yes. I thought had just been, uh, you know, created by this, this one person, but apparently it's a very. No, this was a recipe. thing. Uh, my, my whole family really loved it. Um, and it is, it's something that we only got when we go to Gerard street because it technically is, uh, this is a Pakistani thing. And so, which okay. is, you know, that's different to my family's culture, the Pakistani Muslim thing. Uh, I don't know that religion necessarily plays in, but you know how it all lands over there. Yeah. Um, um, and so this. But the so, combination of vermicelli yes. and, and ice cream has mm. me sold. Like, it is two perfect, of the most delicious right? things. And they have them just in the coolers with the mango lussies and all these other nice things. Yeah. Right. And, and you get a straw in it. And the, the my cousins and my brother and I would love doing this like major sucking on the straw to pull the noodles up the straw. And this mm -hmm. is like a regular straw, not a bubble tea straw. Yeah. Right. We were not smart. We just sucked harder uh, as opposed to getting a wider straw. Right. Uh, to suck all that up, but all the like creamy, a little bit of rosy fruity from the shot of the uh, ruasa that's in there. Yeah. Plus ice cream, plus the noodle, plus the, the pasta, essentially. It's, um, it's a perfect summertime. Oh, I'm going to have to try one of those. family thing for sure. Uh, but this, uh, I, this with like in a cocktail with citrus wedges and a mint sprig, you know, oh, yeah. and maybe a shot of vodka or something like that. I, I think that'd be quite delicious. It's quite a unique flavor. Yes. Yes. It's uh, very specific South Asian vibe, right? Very distinctive. 
And it seems to have had quite a bit of a, a journey. I was reading about it because this has been around since uh, 1907, right. right? And it was initially created to combat uh, fatigue and loss of energy due to excess heat. So it was really sold as something medicinal. Yes. And I feel like, you know, unless they were trying to boost your energy with sugar, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, it might have been, t- it slowly tiptoed away from, you know, what it, I mean, it wasn't Coca-Cola originally. Yes, it, it uh, was uh, therapeutic. Medicinal. Yes, yes. So exactly. it seems to have gone on that journey and I maybe it landed exactly it. as something completely different. Although I think people still consider it to be uh, a tonic of sorts, yeah, right? That's yes. good for, for hot weather. Uh, and it's just interesting to see that disjoint between this, you know, really healthy messaging and this color. <laughs> it's really, it's amazing. It is extraordinary. The color, it's really the truth. As, as I was thinking about this raft, I went, I thought back about what I put in water and I have Ribena and lime cordial. Oh, there and you it go. Just, it just occurred to me that for someone who has like zero English blood, zero, yeah. Uh, how did I end up with lime cordial, ribena, and marmite as like three of my it's, staple foods? That's true, huh? That um, is true. But then I thought back to Italy because in Italy it's also very common um, when you, uh, certainly in southern Italy where I'm from, if someone comes over, you immediately offer them a coffee. Mm-hmm. And to the children, you offer uh, a water with a syrup in it. Okay. And the syrups that are most common That's there. The Italian soda idea. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes exactly. Right. The two that are most common in my village and in, in that area are mint, which was our preferred of the two. Mm, and then the nice. other one is the, uh, you know, that um, milky almond sort of marzipan. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do, I do, I do. That which, marzipan, uh, yes. Mm. Those were the moments we dreaded as kids no was thanks. when we showed up and it was just mm. the almond and no, no choice. Um, So I guess that's probably why I, you know, gravitated more towards the Ribena. But what I'm noticing with this, as opposed to the Ribena and and the Lime Cordial, is those two definitely have a tart element. Yes. And I feel like this one, I'm guessing it's been lost along the way. It doesn't. It sails right out of the street. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like it might have had a bitter element at some point. I think you're right. herbs to balance the sweetness. I think you're right. And that's been dialed down. And I'd also be curious to see, I'm sure there's many brands of this. There might be uh, one not, that has more bitterness to it. There are, the root of set itself, all the yeah. others, I, I went searching for it to buy it. Mm-hmm. And all I could find just other rose syrups. This appears okay. to be the only thing that the market has that has this little tonic element to it. Okay. Everything else is just sweet and really like super stinky rosy. Interesting. Yeah, it is a... It is a it is a very specific, you know, curious thing. Uh, in fact, I bought this stuff first to mix with strawberry jam to put in thumbprint shortbread cookies. Yes, okay, that's what I ultimate because I was doing a little like pseudo brown sweets table, and I mm. have chocolate and cardamom in one section, and so I had this in some strawberry jam that I made in these like whole rye shortbread cookie thumbprints, and that all together was a killer melt. Oh wow. I, yeah, yeah I, I have to admit it's Moorish. I keep I Indeed. It's super hot today, and I keep going <laughs> back to it. I have my other glass of water that has. Uh, you're getting a real. You're getting an exact taste of summer in Pakistan. Nice. <laughs> well, thanks for that. <laughs> my pleasure. I'm delighted yeah. that you enjoyed it that much. It was tons of fun. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us at Patreon.com/slash Hot Plate Pod. Hot Plate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. 
please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HotPlatePod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.